Let's be real, I'm unqualified at best, but I'm taking this year to challenge my fears and seek out authenticity through conversation and hopefully some daring vulnerability. The goal, I'm not really sure yet, but I hope to come out of 2022 more connected to myself and my friends and my faith. Welcome to a year of holy interruptions. Come journey with me, or you know, don't. It's really up to you. Welcome back to the podcast. I am Sarah Spacek, and I am joined with my lovely roommate, roommate, roommate. <laughs> Abigail Lawson. Hi. Hi, Abby. Hi. I'm so happy to be back. I love having our conversations and I... posting them for others to hear. <laughs> and I love interrupting you. <laughs> no, I love having you on the podcast. Your episode that we did earlier, which was I'm not called to be pretty, or you're not called to be pretty. I don't remember mm-hmm. what I named my podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I loved that episode and I loved talking to you and going through that. And so I am so excited to have you back. Today we are talking about community and isolation and the realities of being a human in a world full of other broken humans. The reality of being a broken human with other broken humans and what does that look like and what is the type of person God has called us to be as we interact with other people. Welcome to the episode. Abby, is there anything going on this week that you are just incredibly excited for within your community? Let's see. This week? Okay, this is a big community week, which I think is why I'm so excited for this week. We had Galentine's this morning, Valentine's tonight, Super Bowl tomorrow, some more Valentine's festivities, and an anti-date next weekend. By anti-date, we mean that we are in the middle of an internship with a church, and there is a six-month no-dating rule. And so the end of the six months is on Saturday, and it's a very big deal. And so those of us who are just chilling and not (laughs) running out on a date are going on an anti-date together. So catch nine or 10 or 15 interns. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know how many of us are are going, but we're all going to do something fun together just to celebrate being six months through. Um, (laughs) And we'll see what else happens. And It'll be really good. I'm very excited for it. Yeah, for me our too. non-date. What are we doing? Do you know? I hear most people are excited about a little poly poly, which Ooh. for those of you aren't who aren't familiar, that's the upcountry area of Maui, and it has a beautiful view of both coasts and beautiful view of the sunset. And it's cooler up there, so you can bundle up, maybe do some s'mores. Ooh, a bonfire. Yeah, I hear that might be the move. That might be the move. And one of the things I did not know when I moved to Maui is how cold it can be. I went up country one of my first weeks, and I wore a cute little sundress, and I was frigid. (laughs) Granted, I have become a wimp since moving (laughs) here because I'm so used to 80s and whatnot, but it it gets chilly. You got to bundle up. And if you go all the way up to Haleakala, which is the volcano on island, it is windy and you can get snow. Like you think Hawaii tropical? Well, guess what? We have Hawaii ski resorts. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, not on Maui, but on other islands, there is skiing. So yeah, there was a blizzard a few months ago on yeah. one of the islands and people were texting me, 
do you have snow? And I, like, look out my window. I'm like, heck no. <laughs> but apparently there was indeed a blizzard on the top of another volcano on another island. Just island things. It happens. <laughs> Imagine living on a little rock in the middle of a gigantic ocean, and you can have a rainforest and a desert and a blizzard all happening at the same time. Literally. <laughs> what is life? How did how did we end up here, Abby? <laughs> But it's wonderful to be in community with you here, and I am genuinely so excited for all the goings-on we have this week. I am especially excited for the Super Bowl, which anyone who has known me at any point in my life will be shocked to hear me say that because I have never spent time excited for the Super Bowl before. But we are going with a bunch of friends. We're doing a big feast. We are going to a pool, like, together. It's just, it's going to be a great time. And I have never looked forward to not watching football more. (laughs) (laughs) It took me a second. I was like, wait, what? But no, that's so true. And something I was thinking about the other day, I went through a season last year where I kind of pulled away from my community. My community shifted and it was things that I never cared about before, like the Super Bowl. I really don't watch the Super Bowl before, but then I went through a season of isolation and all of a sudden it's like horrible that I don't have Super Bowl plans and it's like I I don't want to watch the Super Bowl but because I was isolated and didn't have community I was just heartbroken like I have no one to watch the Super Bowl with this year and my mom's like you don't watch the Super Bowl and I'm like but if I did I have no one <laughs> so that's kind of a funny comparison of last year versus this year now this year We have a built-in community with our internship, which is amazing. There's 12 of us, and it's built-in in the sense that we live together and work together, and we definitely spend a lot of time together, but that doesn't mean we still don't play a part in building that community, because just because we exist with 11 other people doesn't automatically mean we have community, but the way we've all built this community together is really sweet and I'm excited to also not watch football with people this year. (laughs) It's going to be so good and I loved what you said about how we are automatically kind of dumped into community but it requires effort to actually get engaged and invested in it and there's a communication theory that talks about how each individual co-creates reality and so you work together to build what your community is and there's a term that says a group is a group that acts like a group. And you like hear that and you're like, wait, a group is a group that acts like a group. How is that a definition? But really, it's just any gathering of people will shape what that gathering looks like based on who's there. And you will feel involved in the group if you act involved in the group. And you will feel disengaged if you're not actively like trying to engage in it. And obviously, personalities play into that. And there are other factors. But it's so interesting how you will feel more involved in community or less involved in community by not only just showing up, because that's the first step, but you need to do more than just be there. You need to be engaged in your community and trying to connect with people and following up with people, I found is a huge part of having good community because it means that you like care enough to invest in them more. And we're all very selfish creatures by nature. We're very self-centered. We kind of view the world through our own lens. And so reaching out to people, I think, is so important to build that community because everyone wants to be reached out to. Everyone wants other people to be thinking about them, but it takes it takes someone to say, hey, I'm thinking about you. <laughs> 
what do you want to do? And I was told by my mentor, she said, the best way to make friends is to ask them for help Mm. because people will feel like they have something to offer. If they feel like they can help you, then they'll want to be community with you. And it's just interesting how like having something to offer makes such a difference. And then it then gives them the chance to now ask you for help when they need it. And you just kind of build connections and small dependencies on each other to navigate life because none of us can do it on our own. That's so good. I love that. That reminds me of what Jenny Allen says in her book, Get Out of Your Head. There's a chapter on community and she says, be the botherer first, which essentially she just means be the one to ask for help. Be the one to say, you're not acting yourself and I'm not letting up until you tell me why. And just really reach out and make the first move. And with what you're saying, yes, you might be the botherer first in a lot of your relationships, but as you build healthy, godly relationships, I mean, if they are godly and healthy, you won't be the botherer forever. But if you initiate and you make that first step, like you said, that's where people are going to continue to reach out. And I think you'll have the opportunity to be the friend that you wish others would be for you or even to be the friend that you needed like for me in that season of loneliness last year, now that I'm in a healthy place, I want to be the friend to others that Abby Lawson last year needed for herself to be pulled out from isolation. Yeah, and it takes other people noticing. It takes other people being willing to observe and notice the people who are on the fringes. And if you think of Jesus, his whole ministry was going to those on the margin, going to the minorities. And so even like within community, you might be in a place where you feel very connected. You have a lot of um, relationships that are really healthy. You have depth. You have people to go to in crisis. But part of that means that now it's your role to find those who aren't in community, to find those who are kind of on the outskirts. But there's something to like following how Jesus did it and going to the people who didn't have it and having the eyes to see them. And then not only seeing them, but then going up and inviting them in and welcoming into community. And it takes you being the initiator and it's hard to do and it's tiring. And especially when you don't feel like you're in community, trying to initiate can feel really draining. But the worst thing you can do is be isolated. Seriously. And I think the devil wants us to be isolated and he wants us to feel shame And oftentimes, a sense of shame is what keeps us isolated. So if you're in a social interaction and you're feeling like you need community, but shame comes in and says, if they knew the real me, they wouldn't want to be with me. Or if they knew what I've done, they wouldn't want to be my friend. And the devil uses shame to keep us isolated. Meanwhile, the Lord has built us for community Even the Trinity lives in community. Like, let us make man in the image of God. And I think it feels safe and easy to stay isolated because if we're not putting ourselves out there, then no one's going to find out our flaws is how we trick ourselves. But I'm here to tell you that community is worth fighting for. Even though it can be hard and messy and exhausting sometimes, community is what we were built for and where we thrive, and it gives people the opportunity to speak into our lives. Because we're not meant to be alone with our thoughts. That's not how we're created. So when you're in a place of isolation, it's you and your thoughts, and you can spiral. But when you reach out to a friend, or honestly, it doesn't even have to be a friend. When you reach out 
and you fight for that community, you're opening yourself to let others speak life into you, which you sometimes aren't in a place to do yourself. And sometimes life isn't pleasant. Like speaking life into someone else is not often fun. And it makes me think of 2 Samuel 12 where Nathan is talking to David. And basically he confronts him about his sin and about his relationship with Bathsheba. And he basically is like, bro, stop. (laughs) What are you doing? The modern day translation. (laughs) Yeah. But he comes to David and says, like, you cannot do this, which for Nathan to do is very difficult. That's a very vulnerable spot for him to be in because David is king. David is in the utmost place of power. But because Nathan talks to David, David then writes Psalm 51, where he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And you see how because Nathan was able to go to David and and point out the sin and just say, I want to speak life into you and the road you are going down and these actions are not life-giving. They are not spirit-filled, which then leads David to write this psalm and this prayer and this confession that has led so many other people for generations upon generations to say the same prayer of create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And you think about if that confrontation hadn't happened, what would it be like? And so like, bravo, Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) Bravo. But I think about that impact that Nathan had on David and then so many people because of David's response, like how many more, how much of an impact can we have on other people when we call them towards life? And it's hard. Like it is not easy to deal with confrontation. It's not easy to point others towards Christ. Like it's such a nice little saying. It's like, oh, I'm going to come and point you towards Christ. Like, look at, look at us go. But like, oftentimes it's miserable if you're conflict avoidant, especially. (laughs) But that's what, that's what community is for. And community, it's so important to be willing to get out of the comfort zone, to be vulnerable together, to open up about, okay, this is a struggle that I'm facing because so often too, when I've been in a group or something, someone will open that door for vulnerability and say, okay, I'm really struggling with this. And more often than not, someone else will say, yeah, me too. And then all of a sudden, you're not alone in those thoughts and that shame, like you were saying, that just kind of cycles and grows and gets bigger and bigger because the devil wants us to be isolated. He wants us to be alone so that we live into that shame. We don't ever confront that shame. We don't have other people invested enough to like see that shame. And it makes me think of First Peter. In chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And I love that end of the verse 9 where it says the family of believers are undergoing the same kind of sufferings because We all have shame that we are experiencing. We all are sin, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so when we are in community and when we're able to own that and acknowledge that and then challenge each other and encourage each other through confrontation, through loving support, that's that's what we're called to do. We're called to do it in a way that is loving and compassionate because if you think about the way Jesus rebuked people, it was gentle. And he didn't rebuke to shame. He rebuked to get them to see 
what their life could be like. He rebuked them so that they could live a healthier life. And if that's the purpose of community is to live and spur each other on to healthier, holier versions of ourselves, then rebuke or confrontation should be the biggest gift we can give each other. Mm, That's so good. That's so good. And that makes me think I'd love to address a lie that I think we often believe about community in line with that. I think a lot of times, I'll speak for myself here, I think of community, I think of an hour-long coffee date with a friend, and she encourages me, we pray together, call it community. (laughs) (laughs) And with what you're saying, community goes much deeper than that. And I also want to address the fact that community is messy. I don't want to buy into the lie that community is easy and pretty because I don't want community that's easy and pretty. I want community that's worth fighting for. And oftentimes we can hurt people by being too busy to partake in real community. So my idea of, yeah, community is catching a coffee date with Sarah an hour a week. That might be fun and that might be uplifting, but that's not the community each of us are thirsting for. If we're too busy to get into the nitty gritty and afraid of getting into the messy thoughts we have, we're missing out on the fullness of community. And it makes me think of Hebrews 10 in verse 24. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I think what Sarah and I are getting at is these different facets of community. Community is encouraging, and sometimes it might be an hour-long coffee day if that's what you need that week. But community is also diving in to the darkest parts of ourselves and bearing each other's burdens. I think a lie a lot of us can buy into is two-sided. One lie is that community should be easy. And when someone calls you out, that's not community. That's a lie we buy into. Another one is that community is too hard and too painful. And I think the truth lies in between those. Community is hard. It can be painful to be called out, but it refines us. And it challenges us to become more like Christ when community is done well. Yeah, and it depends a lot on our choices to change and to respond well. We can't control our circumstances, but we can control our response. I think about the Great Commission, and I think about how we all have been called to go and make disciples of all nations. I'll just read the verse. It says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I think if we can be together, growing together in community, in doing that to make disciples, that means invest in people. A disciple isn't a talk to someone once, fix them, move on. First of all, you can't fix people. A disciple is someone you're inviting to do life with you. A disciple is someone you are walking through their tough spots with, someone you are teaching, someone you are guiding, someone really you are doing life with. And you think about Jesus, he had 12 disciples. He didn't have thousands of disciples. He picked 12 to do life with him, to to sit with him, to eat with him, to live with him. And that 
model is so important because then the 12 went out and they found more. And then those people went out and they found more. And you kind of have this massive ripple effect of change because the disciples responded to Jesus by walking with him. They heard the call. They had a lot of their mindsets challenged to change as Christ called them towards what became Christianity as opposed to Judaism. And you think about the fact that they responded to that by saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you when he called. And I think that's what community looks like is saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you when you call and I will make more disciples and I will teach them what you have taught me. And I love the end of that where it says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And just knowing that in community, Christ is with us always. And if we are a community of people who believe, if we are a community of people who are striving to know God better, to understand God better, we automatically will be spurring each other towards that because our thoughts and our minds are centered on the fact that Christ is with us and that the Lord dwells in each of us. And so if we all can go out and and teach others and disciples and and going is such a a funny thing because you you look at that verse and it says go and make disciples and you could hear that as two verbs go and make but really in the Greek translation it says as you are going. So it's not okay uproot your life and move to I don't know Poland. <laughs> I don't know why that's the first country that came to mind but It really just means as you are going to work, as you are going on a walk, as you are going to a coffee date with a friend, make disciples, invest in them, and they're worth that investment. And I just think about how distracted our world has become and our culture has become. I don't want to be one of those people who blames technology for everything, but I think our attention span as a culture is significantly depleting. And so I think part of being a Christian requires us to give God the quality time (laughs) and to sit and pray for an uncomfortable amount of time. One of the things we can do in response is just sit and spend time praying, spend time investing in people. If you're going to coffee, put your phone on silent and leave it in your car or in your bag if you don't feel safe doing that. Or if you're going to dinner with friends, like do the classic like phone in a pile and whoever picks it up first pays. Like (laughs) it's really important, I think, to be able to attend to people and to give them the time that they deserve as another human being, as as another child of God. And I would challenge everyone listening, and I I know Sarah and I would say this is a challenge for ourselves, I would challenge you to start by spending your time in community with the Lord. I would challenge you to study what Christian community looks like. For me, I started in the book of Acts, and I started there reading about the believers, meeting each other's needs, and it's a great example. It's something we can bring into our everyday lives, and then complimentary source that I've been reading is Get Out of Your Head by Jenny Allen. Chapter 9 dives into what Sarah and I are talking about, the fight for Christian community and the fight to escape isolation where the devil wants us. So that might be a really awesome resource for some of us. And then beyond that, I would also challenge you to look for those who need community and invite them in to this Christ-centered community that you may be experiencing 
or you may be on the other end and you may be in need of Christ-centered community, to which I would challenge you to be the botherer. Reach out and fight for community because it is worth fighting for.